uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Wednesday, the first day of March, 2023. That's right. Shepherd's Conference starts one week from today. I am in well into the throes of final preparations for my trip down there. Uh, looking forward to seeing a bunch of people. I've had messages going back and forth with different people who are going to be there and making plans to, to get together. Got uh, got uh, plans for, for dinner with a few people. Got, got plans to hang out with a few people and plans to walk through the book tent with a few people. So it's just going to be an awesome trip. Very much looking forward to it. Um, I... Uh, I was actually messaging with uh, Mark MacArthur, John's son, the other day because I didn't see him last year. So I, I sent him a message saying, hey, going to see you this year? And uh, we, we chatted just a bit about his dad. He says his dad's doing great. He's uh, recovering and is very excited about Shepherd's Conference. So looking forward to, to sitting once again under the preaching of John MacArthur and the other men down there and looking forward to hanging out with friends. And friends from all over the country. I got friends down there in Southern California that I'm looking forward to seeing, and I've got friends from all the way across the country that are going to be there that I'm looking forward to seeing. So it's going to be, uh, it's it's like a big family reunion. <laughs> um, well, I've been going now for, I think this will be the 14th year. Is that right? Yeah. It's not the 14th Shepherd's Comfort. I skipped a couple in there, and they they. They didn't have one uh, in 21, so I've missed, there have been three years that I haven't gone, but uh, you know, I've been going a long time, I've made a lot of friends, and I'm looking forward to getting back down there and seeing everybody, and uh, I mean, I got friends from Atlanta that are going to be there, I got friends from Florida that are going to be there, I got friends from Arkansas that are going to be there, uh, got friends from Oregon, I'm, uh, you know, that uh, live just a couple hours away that... Uh, I don't see, excuse me, the sneeze snuck up on me, but I'm seeing friends that I don't see, even if they live relatively close to me. I'm expecting to see a, a friend from Great Falls that I know he's there. I know where he lives. I just haven't gone over and seen him in quite a while, but, uh, Looking forward to seeing quite a few people. So that's going to be a fun time. And uh, that is begins a week from today. So this is Squirrel Chatter. This is a podcast that is dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. And we webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And then you can download the audio, Audible, the audio podcast. It is on Audible. Wherever you get your fine podcasts, be they Audible or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find us there, tune in, uh, 
as I've tried to tried to get it plugged into a lot of different networks, and uh, even if you can't find Squirrel Chatter on your particular podcast, you're probably going to find the Christian Podcast Community feed, and Squirrel Chatter will be a part of that. So we are a proud member of Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com, check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I was looking at the the weather for California just now. Because they had a bunch of we had snow yesterday. Mrs. Squirrel and I had to shovel the driveway. Not happy about that. I'm done with winter. Excuse me. I really am. I am done with winter. I am ready for spring. And uh, Shepherd's Conference for me always marks the end of winter and the beginning of spring because I'm going to be gone for a week and a half, roughly. I'll be gone for nine days. And I leave winter, and I always come home to spring. Um, so it's kind of a nice deal. Excuse me, just a moment. Of course there's bad churches. Um, then go find a good one. And if you have to drive to get to it, then it's worth the drive, I would say. You know? So get in your car and go. I mean, how bad do you want it? I mean, how important is the truth to you? And I'm back. That Lawson clip is almost perfect for blowing my nose. <laughs> That's almost great timing. You know, it just works out well. Mm. All right. So uh, let's see. What was I saying? I was talking about the weather. Yeah, the weather's going to be nice. It's going to be, it's not going to be the, 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 I have been there when it snowed. I have seen snow coming down on Roscoe Boulevard in front of uh, Grace Church. Um, so I've been there when it snowed. I've also been there when it was, I don't think the, it ever got below 90, um, which was actually my first Shepherds Conference. And uh, the my, my friend and host, Fred Butler, had told me this is the rainy season, you know. So I had taken, you know, Montana fall spring clothing ready for cool temperatures and rainy weather. And I got down there and it was well above 90 and I did not have appropriate clothing. So if you actually look at my pictures from my very first ShepCon, I am running around t-shirts. I am not well-dressed at all. Um, because it was blazingly hot and I was not prepared for blazingly hot. And so I, and, and when I went down there for the, You've got mail. I need to put that on the, no disturb. Yeah. We do not need to hear. And yes, I do have the AOL. You've got mail as my mail notification sound on my phone. I apologize for that. I usually have that, uh, have that on Do Not Disturb before we begin podcasting. So, um, the weather is is uh, you know you can you can expect anything, and now I plan for anything, even when I'm looking at the weather. It says it's going to be highs in the mid 50s and clear while I'm down there, but that's a week away, you know. And weathermen are nothing if not accurate. <laughs> So we will see what the weather looks like uh, when I get there. I will have 
everything from warm weather to cooler weather. Because when I went down there for the cold one, the, the one where I saw the snow coming down, I was not prepared for that either because I had just been to the hottest one down there. So I actually have several sweaters and stuff that I bought in the the shop there at Shepherd's Conference because I needed something. I've got a ball cap that I bought because it was raining and it was cold and rainy. So I got, you know, sweaters and windbreakers and <laughs> yeah, I'll take this, 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 and this because I hadn't packed any of that stuff. I, now I did have my heavy winter coat, but that would have been way too much. Yeah, because I do leave winter, so there's a heavy coat that goes with me because I'm wearing it when I depart. Um, but after I get, you know, south of Salt Lake City, I don't really need that anymore. Um, so yeah, pr I'll probably do, uh, you know, 10 or 12 hours on Sunday to get down either. Uh, the earliest I stop is Nephi, or as I call it, Nephi. And that is south of Provo. I want to get south of Provo. From Ogden to Provo through Salt Lake City is really one big metropolitan area. It's a lot like the L.A. Metroplex. I mean, you hit city when you, if you're on I-15, you hit city when you drop down into San Bernardino. And you are in city all through you know, that area, you know, Los Angeles and the surrounding environs is all one big city. Well, Salt Lake's the same way, not nearly as big, but they've got I-15 running through. It widens up to like six lanes at Provo or at, uh, at Ogden. If you're coming South, it widens up to like six lanes at Ogden and it doesn't narrow down until you get South of Provo. It's all one massive thing. So I want to get Sunday night I'm leaving Sunday after church. Sunday night, I want to get south of Provo so that Monday morning, I don't have to deal with rush hour. I can be, you know, by the time I get to Vegas, which is the next big city on the trip, it, it, rush hour's over, and I can just kind of cruise through Vegas. Um, you just have to slow down some, but it's not, it's not like stop-and-go rush hour traffic. And then I know the... I know where to cut off and, and uh, cut off on the, the leave the 15 and, and uh, bypass the city, north of the city on the Pear Blossom Highway to, to Palmdale and then drop down the 14 right into Santa Clarita where I'm staying. So I've, I've learned the routes. Uh, don't even have to look at the map. <laughs> I know it. uh, it's, it's, I, it's, it's, I've been there enough. I can get around... In Santa Clarita, I know where Grace to You is. I know where Santa Clarita Baptist Church is, which my friend Dave Caldwell hosts or pastors. Um, I know where Grace to You's offices are, and I can get from. Uh, I know where Chick Fil A is, and I can get from Santa Clarita down to Grace Community Church fairly easily. So I have learned my way around down there even though I've never lived down there. But uh, always, I'm looking forward to the trip. Can you tell I'm excited about the trip? I'm, I'm, I'm really looking to... Shepherd's Conference every year is just a special time for me. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I am going to miss 
not being able to log into my GBTS classes next week. I, I sent emails off to my professors yesterday saying, hey, I'm going to be traveling. I will not be able to log in Monday night and Tuesday night. Monday night will be my first night in, uh, I mean, I'll be hanging with my host family uh, and visiting friends and doing all that sort of stuff. You know, Tuesday, Tuesday, I generally volunteer at Grace to You. Tuesdays and Thursdays are the big volunteer days at Grace to You when people are stuffing envelopes and stuff. Now, during Shepherd's Conference, it's not as most of the people that volunteer at Grace to You during normal weeks have all volunteered to work at Shepherd's Conference. Um, there's over a thousand volunteers from the church who run the, the craft tables, who feed you. <laughs> you know, there's, there's food everywhere. And they just take really good care of us while we're down there. It's, I mean, it's a pampered experience to be a pastor at Shepherd's Conference is to be truly treated like royalty. And it, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. Um, and so, you know, all the people that normally volunteer at Grace to You are volunteering at, at the church for Shepherd's Conference. So, and I don't think they even have a volunteer day on Thursday. Probably not because Fred's at Shepherd's Conference. Fred is the volunteer coordinator. And uh, I'm staying at Fred's house again, hanging with his five kids. Well, two are off to college now. I don't know if I'll see Caleb and Josh, but we'll see the the younger three for sure and uh, hang out with them. They all call me Mr. Squirrel because the butlers have trained their children that as children, they do not address adults by their given name or by a nickname. So they have to, they can't call me Squirrel. They have to call me Mr. Squirrel. Works fine for me. <laughs> All right, let's see. Where we go? What we got today? It is Wednesday, March 1st. We have prayers from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. We have our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy. We are looking at the fourth commandment today. I told you we were going to spend the whole episode today looking at that, and we will. So let us begin then with the prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. All right, our reading from MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ today is Satan Revealed as a Liar. The devil said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Matthew 4.9 Satan's promises for better things 
obtained more quickly and in a preferred manner to God's plan, are actually counterfeit offers. He always wraps them in claims that seem easier, less expensive, and far less burdensome. After all, that's the savvy way to success, he reasons. Our adversary's arguments, argument is essentially just a form of the old end-justifies-the-means concept. But Satan has been a liar from the beginning of redemptive history. With his third temptation of Jesus, he was actually just seeking to buy Christ's soul and his permanent allegiance. The cost for the Lord, had he accepted the offer of the world's kingdoms, would have been devastating beyond measure. Similarly for us, Satan's price is always far more than we are led to believe, and the goods always unfathomably fall short of what we had expected. Thankfully, Jesus in his omniscience and infinite wisdom recognized these truths and did not succumb to the final temptation in the wilderness. Had he accepted Satan's sinister offer, Christ would have, been disqualified, would have disqualified himself as both Savior and King. Instead of redeeming the world, he would have joined it. Instead of inheriting it, he would have been lost. He would have lost both it and us. Ask yourself, if coming in the front door doesn't work, our enemy has no qualms about executing the sneak attack, catching us off guard and by surprise. How seriously are you taking the call to be on the alert at all times, resisting Satan's temptations, and boldly obeying God's will? Trust Christ for both radar and resistance. That's a good line. Trust Christ for both radar and resistance. Yeah, to, to be aware of the schemes of the enemy and to stand firm against them. All right, our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, we are looking at the fourth commandment today as we continue our study Bible level Bible study. We have Sloan da Sloan? <laughs> slowed down, <laughs> Sloan. We have slowed down as we've come to the Ten Commandments, because I want to spend just a little bit more time on each of the commandments, or at least sections of the commandments. And we did the first three commandments yesterday. Now I want to finish the first table of the law. Remember, the first table of the law is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And that's commandments one through four. Commandments 5 through 10 are, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, Jesus said that, that you know, those are the, the first and second greatest commandments, and on them hang all the law. And so you can see the division of the law into those two tables. I was reading last week uh, a book, uh, The Voice from the Fire, I think is the name of it. It was Al Mohler's book written many years ago on the Ten Commandments. And I hadn't read it in a while, but I picked it up getting ready to, to, to do this study and wanted to review what he had said. And in the introduction, he's talking about his children in school and stuff, and his kids are all grown now. And, you know, it's just one of those kids. I know, I, I know he has a 
daughter named Katie, and I'm trying to think. I think he has a son as well. I'd have to I'd have to look. I'm I'm not an expert on Albert Muller, um, but it's a good book. Uh, the voice from the fire, or words from the fire. It's referring to Mount Sinai and the smoke and the fire on the mountain, and the words coming out, the giving of the Ten Commandments, which we read last week. All right. So today we're looking at Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. I'm going to read it, then we're going to go through the uh, um, go through the the uh, <laughs> catechisms <laughs> that we did yesterday, and uh, look at at what both uh, Spurgeon and the ACNA or, or J.I. Packer's catechisms say about it. Um, and you know we could look at other catechisms. There are very many good ones, but these are the ones that I wanted to to draw out from, um, basically because they're handy and they're they're some that I refer to quite a bit. I'll look at Spurgeon and I'll look at Packer, because that gives me pretty much the broad spectrum of evangelical Christianity. Um, to to see what you know Spurgeon said and to see what. Uh, an Anglican said, is, is, that's going to give you the, the spectrum, really, of Bible-believing Christians. I mean, we could look at, you know, whatever the United Methodists currently say, if they say anything at all, referring to the Bible gives them hives. Um, but these are the two that I have picked. But there are good ones. I mean, there's the Westminster Shorter and Longer Catechisms are are excellent. Again, not not things that I'm going to agree with 100%. Um, being a Baptist and being a dispensationalist, but stuff that is still worthy of study and to see how, you know, godly men viewed these things in the past. But I chose these two. These are the ones that we're looking at. And I believe, I don't know for sure. Let me look. I'm thinking that J.I. Packer... In the ACNA, and this is it, to be a Christian, the Anglican, an Anglican Catechism Approved Edition. This is the one that was recently put out by the ACNA, but it is, uh, J.I. Packer wrote it many years ago. Um, let me see if it says that it's adapted from the Westminster. And I don't know that it is. I'm, I'm skimming the introduction very, very quickly. Catechism, ideal way. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, this is a 2000 introduction. I am skimming. This is what happens when I just decide to look something up that wasn't in my show notes. And I am not seeing where it was adopted. It may have been written um, it may have been written for or uh, now it looks like Packer actually reviewed this and helped do it before he died because he uh, the introduction is signed on behalf of the committee for catechisms of the Anglican Church in North America the Reverend Canon J.I. Packer um, and this was put out in 2016 2017 something like that so shortly before he died, he did the update, but I am not seeing anything about where he adapted it from. 
that would require more research. All right. Be that as it may, I want to read Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, and then we're going to go through the catechisms, and then I'm going to tell you why I am not a Sabbatarian. So I do not believe that Sabbath, Sabbath keeping in, in, is a uh, command to the church. So we will get into that at the end. And this is, this is one of the key things that I disagree with the 1689 about is the, the, the view on the Sabbath. Um, and if you read, I think it's chapter 22 of the 1689 is all about worship and the Lord's day. Um, and it is, I'm not a Sabbatarian and I'll explain why after we do the study. Both of the catechisms that we're looking at, both Spurgeon and the, the ACNA catechism, um, do take a Sabbatarian position, although they take slightly different Sabbatarian positions, as we will see. All right, let's leap in. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male slave or your female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who is within your gates, so that your male slave and your female slave may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the, hand, in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. All right, so this is what Spurgeon's Catechism says. Question 50. What is required in the fourth commandment? Answer. The fourth commandment requires the keeping holy to God such set times as he has appointed in his word, expressly one whole day in seven to be a holy Sabbath to himself. And the references are Leviticus 19.30 and Deuteronomy 5.12. Question 51. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? Answer. The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such world, worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, Leviticus 23.3, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercise of God's worship. Psalm 92, 1 and 2, Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. Except so much as is taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. Matthew 12, 11 to 12. Now the ACNA. Um, question 291. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath day holy? Sabbath is from the Hebrew Shabbat, which means rest. Holy means set apart for God's purposes. God commanded Israel to set apart each seventh day following six days of work for rest and worship. Genesis 2-2, Exodus 31, 12-17, Psalm 23, 1-3, Mark 1, 21-22. Question 292. Why was Israel to rest on the Sabbath? Israel was called to rest in remembrance that God had freed them from slavery 
and that God rested from his work of creation, bringing joyful balance and rhythm to life, work, and worship. Genesis 2, 1 and 2, Exodus 20, verse 11, Exodus 23, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, which we just read. Question 293. How did Jesus teach us to keep the Sabbath? As Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus taught us to keep it not merely as a duty, but as a gift of God to be received with joy and extended to others through acts of love and hospitality. Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6. Luke 13, 10 through 16. And again, I'm giving you these uh, scripture references so that you may look them up. We're not looking at them this morning. Question 294 of the ACNA Catechism. How does the Sabbath serve as a promise for the future of God's people? When the church is perfected in Christ, all believers will dwell in God's new creation, free from sin and its curse, and eternally united to God in love, adoration, and joy. This will be our unending Sabbath rest. Psalm 132, Isaiah 66, 22 through 23, Colossians 2, 16 through 19, Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Question 295. How do you keep the Sabbath? I cease from all unnecessary work, rest physically, mentally, and spiritually, and join with my family and church in worship, fellowship, and works of love. Psalm 92, Isaiah 58, 13 through 14, Matthew 12, 12, and Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Question 296. Remember, there's, there's lots of good stuff here, and uh, it, it would be interesting to, to take the time to develop this further. Excuse me again for just a moment. I apologize. The air has been very dry of late, and it's dusty, and I am sneezing this morning. But again, I had a warning that was coming on. It didn't just pop in on me when I wasn't expecting it. Um, so, all right, question 296. As I was saying, it would be good to, to go through this and really examine it. And, and it, this might be one of the things that we do on a Theology Thursday after we're done with the 1689. It's actually my purpose, I think I mentioned yesterday, that one of the things I'm thinking about doing is going through the, the 42 articles that Thomas Cranmer originally wrote that are now the 39 articles. They, they, they axed three of them. Um, but it would be interesting to, to go through the, and I have no problem with the three they axed, actually. It was a good idea to, to get rid of them. They were, not, they were not consistent, really, with the other 39. But um, that would be something we would discuss while going through it. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it might be fun to, to go through you know, sometime in the future, not anytime soon. We're not even halfway through the 1689 yet. Um, that is tomorrow, by the way, Theology Thursday. Join us then. But uh, just some of the things I'm kicking around. You can drop me a line at scrollchatter at protonmail.com and let me know what you think. Would that be a good, would that be a good thing to, to do is look at these catechistic questions and the scriptural proofs and... Uh, Maybe even go back and, you know, start with like the earliest Protestant catechism. That would be fun. All right. It's a study in historic theology. Yeah. 
How did what did people believe at a particular time? And looking at the development of understanding of doctrines, good stuff, always fun. So, question two hundred ninety-six: What does this commandment teach you about work? My work is a gift of God that can grant me provision and satisfaction, and serve the common good. But it neither defines my life nor rules over it. I am thereby freed from resentment and sloth to work diligently and with joy for God's glory. Genesis 2.15, Exodus 29-11, Psalm 128, Proverbs 6, 6-11, Proverbs 12, 11-14, 12, Proverbs 16.3, Ephesians 4.28, Colossians 3.23-24. Question 297. Why does the church worship on the first day of the week rather than on the seventh? The earliest Christians came to observe Sunday as the Lord's Day, Revelation 1.10, for their primary day of worship in remembrance of Jesus' resurrection on the first day of the week. Luke 24, 1-7. Acts 20, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 16.2, and then they, they reference a couple of extra-biblical sources, the, the Didache, the Didache, that's an inside joke, the Didache, section 14.1, I don't know if it's paragraph 14.1 or whatever, um, the Didache is a collection of early extra-biblical teachings on Christian living, and Didache simply means the teachings. And then we have Ignatius of Antioch's Letter to the Magnesians 9. I'm assuming that's a division in the letter. I did not look up either of those references. I have them, but I have not looked them up um, to see what they, what they say. But obviously they're talking about worshiping on the first day of the week, which we know was the practice of the early church. Question 298. What does the Sabbath teach you about time? Through an ordered life of weekly worship and rest throughout the Christian year and by a regular pattern of daily prayer, I learn that time belongs to God and is ordered by him. Genesis 1, 14-15, Leviticus 23, Psalm 92, 1-4, Psalm 119, 164, Acts 3, 1, and Hebrews 10.25 Question 299 How does keeping the Sabbath help you to grow in Christ? Answer, as I keep a weekly day of rest and worship, my faith in God my Creator is strengthened, my hope in God my Provider is renewed, and my love for God my Redeemer is deepened. Exodus 16, 1-30 Psalm 127, 1 and 2 Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. All right, so those are the two catechisms that we're looking at. Now, why am I not a Sabbatarian? I set the Wayback Machine for, gosh, 20 years ago now. I, uh, I was, Janet and I were, were up at my parents' house, and there was a flyer that came in the mail that looked intriguing. And 
this was my first encounter with the Seventh-day Adventists. And they were holding uh, basically a quote-unquote revival meeting. It was an evangelistic outreach designed to get people into the Seventh-day Adventist church. And so the they had, you know, it was, it was being held at an auditorium in Missoula. You know, it didn't say anything about church affiliation or beliefs. It was just this revelation now. It was all about Bible prophecy. And so mom and dad and Janet and I decided, let's go. Let's see what this is about. And so we went and... The first night was fairly solid, but again, there was no mention of, of, uh, of who they were and what they were about. Dad did ask the speaker in the lobby, you know, what, what do you represent? And, and he did admit that he was Seventh-day Adventist. But at that time, none of us really knew much about the Seventh-day Adventist. Um, it was not a group that we had encountered, um, but they did... I think it was 21 nights. And they, they did, the first week was at the rented auditorium. Um, but after that, they had moved to the Seventh-day Adventist church because by that time they admitted who they were and why pay rent on a public hall when you have a church. So we went to them, as many of them as we could. And there were, there were some we couldn't just for other obligations. But I was very early on struck by the fact that they're not quite right. But I couldn't really put my finger on it. I just, this isn't right. This, there's something here. Now, at the time, I think I mentioned this before, I was the head of security at a lumber mill. Um, I was already, I was not pastoring. I was teaching Sunday school. But I was the head of security at a lumber mill. And I really only had about 90 minutes worth of work that I had to do every day. The rest of my shift was sitting there in case an emergency took place. You know, had to know how to, what to do in the case of an emergency. But if there was no emergency, it was kind of like I described it as being a, a fire extinguisher hanging on the wall. Your job is to hang on the wall and be ready. And so that was, you know, most of my job. And the 90 minutes of work I had to do every day was the fact that I was the supervisor, so I was dealing with the scheduling and all that sort of stuff. I had admin duties. And then I would have, you know, I'd have to answer the phone. I'd have to sign, sign visitors in and out of the mill or anything. But for the most part, I was just sitting there. So I got a lot of reading and studying done. And so when this was all coming down, when we were actually in the middle of, a, of attending these things, I ended up with like three study Bibles and commentaries and stuff spread out on my desk in the guardhouse. And between signing in visitors and answering the phone, I was doing an in-depth study on the Sabbath. Now, so the Seventh-day Adventist was the first aberrant sect. And I would say they're a non-Christian cult. That's a discussion for another time. 
Um, you can search. Phil Johnson has done a couple of messages on the Seventh-day Adventists, and he, he echoes my conclusions as well. So if, you, if you're looking for something, go ahead and Google Phil Johnson Seventh-day Adventists, and you will find several messages that he has done on the Seventh-day Adventists and on Ellen G. White, their founder, and they actually came out of the same roots as the Jehovah's Witnesses, and there's all there's there's great deal of history. It goes back to the Millerite movement of the 1800s. But so, they, I believe they're a cult, but they were the first aberrant group that I studied in depth, where I really dug into their doctrine and then dug into the scriptures to determine what was right and what was wrong. Now, because of that, I did a lot of study on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not their only aberrant doctrine. Uh, they have some, some very weird ones, but uh, that's, that, like I said, that's a discussion for another time. But I um, did study the Sabbath a lot because that's their big thing, because they're Seventh-day Adventists. They also teach vegetarianism and all sorts of stuff. So, since that's their big thing, I dug into that pretty good. Now, first, I concluded that the Seventh-day Adventists are correct in that the Sabbath is the seventh day, Saturday. There isn't any place in the New Testament where the Sabbath is changed from the seventh day to the first day. There's no... That, that really isn't there. The, the passages that all refer to the church worshiping on the first day are descriptive, not prescriptive. There's no commandment. Okay. Now, the church very early on began worshiping on the first day of the week, on Sunday. And this was done to commemorate Jesus' resurrection. But it is nowhere called the Sabbath and the Sabbath day requirements are never applied to it. And indeed, worshiping on Sunday is not required in the scriptures. So, that it's, it's tradition, and there is a reason behind it to, to commemorate the resurrection of Christ. And it has been the traditional day of the meeting of the church. But, do not forsake the gathering of, together of the church. If you are a part of a solid Bible-teaching evangelical church, and I'm using evangelical in the, the actual term, not the modern mainstream use. If you are a member of a Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, that, for some reason, meets on Wednesday night or Saturday night, and doesn't meet on Sunday morning. You attend when the church meets as often as you're able because we're not supposed to forsake the gathering together of the church. Most churches meet on Sunday morning, and you know I think that Sunday's a good time to go to church, but there's not a legalistic requirement that it has to be on Sunday. And that's why, one of the reasons why I like multiple meetings during the week. If somebody works on Sunday which people do, then having a Wednesday night service where they can gather with the church, having a Saturday night service where they can gather with the church, having a Sunday evening service 
If you work Sunday morning, you can come to the evening service. I think these are important things to consider in determining the, the schedule of the church. I do believe the primary gathering of the church is Sunday morning worship. That has been the tradition for 2,000 years. Um, and while it is not commanded, it is important. All right. So that's the thing. So the, the Sunday is never called the Sabbath, and the Sabbath day, Sabbath day requirements are never applied to Sunday. Then there's the fact that of the Ten Commandments, nine are repeated in the New Testament. Which one isn't? The fourth. The commandment to keep the Sabbath is not given to the church. The other nine are. So keep that in mind. Then I concluded that the keeping of the Sabbath was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It was required of those who were under the Mosaic Covenant. Just as circumcision is the sign of the Abrahamic Covenant, and the rainbow is the sign of the Noahic Covenant. Sabbath-keeping was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. And, and people have pointed out that the law of Moses has strong similarities to what are known as suzerain treaties. These are treaties between, um, in most cases, between a king and his subjects laying out the requirements of the king for the subjects. And in a suzerain treaty, there is always a sign of the treaty. So these are the requirements of the treaty, and here is a sign that you are keeping the treaty. So that's, you know, um, and, and so the Sabbath is, is included in the Decalogue, as the sign of keeping the treaty. So, let me let me demonstrate that from scripture. Exodus 31:12 through 17. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, "But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, you shall surely keep my sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am Yahweh who makes you holy." Therefore you shall keep the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may, you, may work be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations, as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So let me scroll back up and just hit some things. Say to the sons of Israel, verse 13, you shall keep my Sabbaths. This shall be a sign between me and you. The you refers back to the sons of Israel throughout your generations. Uh, and then down in verse 16, so the sons of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. 17, it is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. So this is a sign between God 
and Israel. Now, as a dispensationalist, or at least someone with very dispensational leanings, I don't really like the word dispensationalist. And there are things in classic dispensationalism that I do not hold to, but for right now, it's the word we got. I am someone who sees a distinction between Israel and the church. And that has implications and ramifications. This was given to Israel. It's not given to the church. So keep that in mind. It's also, we see that in Exodus 20, verses 10 through 20. There we read, So I took them out of the land of Egypt. Who did God take out of Egypt? Israel. Okay. So I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made them know my judgments, which, if any man does them, he will live by them. And I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am Yahweh, who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, and they rejected my judgments, which, if any man does them, he will live by them. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said that I would pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to completely destroy them. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations before whose sight I had brought them out. Also I swore to them that in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands, because they rejected my judgments, and as for my statutes, they did not walk in them. They even profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart continually walked after their idols. Yet my eye had pity on them rather than bringing them to ruin, and I did not make of them a complete destruction in the wilderness. I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, and do not keep their judgments, and do not defile yourselves with idols. I am Yahweh your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. Keep my Sabbaths holy, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am Yahweh your God. The Sabbath was a sign between God and Israel. It is the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Also, throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, and I didn't, I should have found some, some scriptures, but this can be your your uh, homework. The Old Testament prophets condemn Israel for a lot of things. Idolatry, sexual immorality, etc. And those condemnations of Israel include profaning the Sabbaths. Not keeping the Sabbath. It's one of the things that God, through the prophets, condemns Israel for. And that was one of the reasons for the, the Babylonian captivity, etc. And indeed, according to the law, they were supposed to give the land a rest every seventh year. So every seventh year, they were not to plant a crop. They were not to harvest. They were supposed to allow the, the land to go fallow every seventh year. And they did not do that for 490 years. So that God said, my land will have its rest. And the length of the Babylonian captivity was 70 years. 
the 70 Sabbath years that they had missed during their 490 years in the land. So they profaned the Sabbaths and they were judged for it. It was serious. Um, and, and, and this was something, you know, because keeping the Sabbath was a sign that they were, they were following the covenant. And they were not following the covenant, therefore God judged them. But the same Old Testament prophets also have passages condemning the nations that surrounded Israel in ancient times. Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, etc. There's all sorts of condemnation on those nations as well. They are condemned for their idolatry and worship of false gods. They're condemned for their sexual immoralities. They're condemned for their cruelty and their militaristic conquests. There's all sorts of things that they are condemned for. What they're not condemned for is profaning the Sabbath. It's not mentioned. They are not held to the Sabbath because the Sabbath was uniquely given to Israel. The nations surrounding are held not to the letter of the Mosaic law. They are held to the moral law. And that is, you know, that's in the heart of every man. That's why we all know right from wrong. That's Romans chapter 2. And so there are requirements in the law that reflect the moral law. And the other nine commandments, I would say, are a good reflection of the moral law. This one is not. There's no real moral component here. Um, other than, you know, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you are going to obey the commandments that he gave you. And just to, to make the point, there are commandments in the Bible that were not given to you and me. And let me make an example. Yeah. It is commanded in the Bible to march around the city of Jericho once a day for seven days and then seven times, or once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. That's a command in the Bible. But it's a command that was given to a specific people at a specific place in a specific time. It's not a universal commandment for everyone. And so my contention is that the Sabbath is the same way. It was given to Israel at, a, at, at Mount Sinai under the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is the old covenant that's done away with by the new covenant. So when our Lord inaugurates the new covenant with his crucifixion, the old covenant was done away with. That includes the sign of the old covenant, which was Sabbath keeping. That's why the Sabbath is never commanded to the church. That's why the Sabbath regulations are not applied to the church and are not applied to Sunday. So according to the writer of the Hebrews, the Sabbath is a type. And what it is, it is a type of our rest in the finished work of Christ. The Sabbath is and has always been a picture of God's great salvation. Because salvation cannot be worked for. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It cannot be earned. It is not by works. Therefore, 
it is the true Sabbath rest. And it would apply to, you know, our life in the, the new creation during eternity. All of that would be the Sabbath rest, but it's entered into through salvation, which we do not work for. So our rest is in the finished work of Christ. That is our Sabbath rest. Let me read uh, from Hebrews 4, just looking at verses. How far did I go down? Uh, let's see. It looks like I went to verse 16. So Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 16. We read, Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have fallen short of it. For indeed, we have had good news proclaimed to us, just as they, they also. But the word that was heard did not profit those who were not united with faith among those who heard. So he's talking about the Israelites who were not allowed to enter the promised land because of their disobedience to God. We, we looked at this in our study of Deuteronomy. That whole generation had to die off. So this is the... This is the, he's talking about that and referring to that. So he's talking about the, the Israelites who had the good news proclaimed to them. But the word that was heard did not profit those who were not united with faith among those who heard it. So they didn't believe God. They heard the message, but they heard it in unbelief. For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The, the, it was referring there, they should not enter the promised land that God is giving them. Now remember, he talks about the promised land in multiple places, God does. He says, you're going to live in houses you did not build, houses you didn't work for. You're going to eat from orchards you did not plant, food sources you did not work for. Do you see how it's a picture of our rest in Christ? They were receiving, in that case, temporal rewards that they had not worked for. These were things that were built by others that they were inheriting. And so when not being allowed to enter into the promised land was not being allowed to enter into his rest. Continuing in verse 3, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So he, he was saying that, you know, his rest continued even after the completion of the seventh day on which he rested, because um, he rested from creation. Verse 4, for he has spoken somewhere in this way concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news proclaimed to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again determines a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as had been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, referring to the Israelites who hardened their hearts and did not, were not allowed into the promised land. Verse 8, 
And he's pointing out the fact that David lived long after Joshua. So let me read the passage. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So the rest that they had in the promised land was not permanent and was not complete. It was a picture of the rest. Just as the Sabbath day was a picture of the rest that God would give us when we come to him by grace through faith and not by works. Verse 9, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall into the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have an account to give. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us take hold of our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to, uh, to help in time of need. The rest that the writer to the Hebrews pictures is the rest in the finished work of Christ. He's not applying it, when he says there, there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people, he's not applying it to a day of the week. It's not a command to keep the Sabbath. If it were a command to keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath is Saturday. The Seventh-day Adventists are right on that. It's never been changed. It's the seventh day of the week. The church worships on the first day of the week because we're not under the Sabbath laws, because we're not under the Mosaic Covenant. Romans 14, Paul writes, beginning in verse 5, One person judges one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards the day regards it for the Lord, and he who eats, eats for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both be both that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So he says, you know, one person judges one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. This is a matter of conscience. And he's talking about, you know, earlier in the passage, he's talking about the fact that, you know, we're not, we're not to judge each other on debatable matters. So I am not telling my Sabbatarian brothers who regard the first day of the week as a Christian Sabbath that they are wrong. I'm explaining why I don't agree. And I am not condemning them for keeping the Sabbath. And indeed, I think there is a lot of benefit in 
being militant about keeping the Lord's Day. Um, I'm very much in favor of keeping the Lord's Day, but it is not a legal requirement. And that's the point I'm trying to make. And Colossians 2.16 and 17 kind of lays it out and is the nail, I think. Therefore, no one is to judge you in food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. The, the new moon was the first day of the month, and that was a monthly observance in the Jewish calendar. The festivals, the six yearly festivals of you know Passover, uh, Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, um, Trumpets, Tabernacles, and Yom Kippur, and I probably have them in wrong order, but those are the six festivals that God required in the law for every male Israelite to attend. Um, obviously, that's not always possible every year, but that was something that, that uh, as they became more spread out, it became more of a, of a, a goal and a pilgrimage than it did a yearly observance. But while they were in the land, it was a yearly observance that everyone was supposed to be at Jerusalem for those festivals, or at the tabernacle, and then later the temple. So at Shiloh, when the tabernacle was at Shiloh, and at Jerusalem, once everything got moved to Jerusalem. So he said that, you know, but not no one judge you by these things. If you keep them, you're fine. Romans 14, be convinced in your own mind you, you ought to, but you cannot make it a requirement for anybody else. And here he's saying, don't let somebody judge you for these things. And, and I think it's, it's both ways. He says, let no one judge you in food or drink. So if you, if you keep a certain diet, you know, because of a certain holy day, as long as you're convinced in your own mind, you ought to. Um, and, and, you know, so don't let anybody judge you. Um, if you abstain totally from alcohol, even though the Bible doesn't command it, but you do it. And so acts of piety are not wrong in and of themselves. Acts of piety become wrong when they are made legal requirements, when they are not legal requirements in the law. And Sabbath keeping is an act of piety. So if you keep the Sabbath, awesome. And honestly, as someone who doesn't believe that the Sabbath is a command in the New Testament to the church, I tend to keep Sunday as a Sabbath to the Lord. Um, not because it's required, but because it's comfortable. And, and by comfortable, I mean it is comforting to spend that day in worship and meditation on God's Word. But I'm more than happy to go out to eat on Sunday. I, I'm more than happy to, you know, go to a baseball game on a Sunday afternoon or watch a baseball game or a football game at home while relaxing, you know. And I believe that you can watch a baseball game to the glory of God. You can do everything to the glory of God. So it's not a legalistic requirement, and I don't, I don't see it as such. Um, so, and he says in verse 17 of Colossians 2, all of these things, the festival, the new moon, the Sabbath day, eating and drinking, these are 
things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And I think that reinforces the view from the writer of the Hebrews that the Sabbath was a picture of our rest in Christ. It was a shadow of what was to come, and what was to come was resting in the finished work of Christ and resting in the eternal state in the presence of God for eternity. So let me review real quick. The Sabbath was a sign between God and Israel, and it was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. No other nation was ever condemned for failing to keep the Sabbath. It's not repeated to the church in the New Testament, and it is a picture of salvation resting in Christ's finished work because we do not have to work for our salvation. And for those reasons, I do not hold to Sabbath keeping for the church. So I am not a Sabbatarian. The other nine commandments are absolutely binding because they are a reflection of the moral law. The Sabbath was not a reflection of the moral law. It was the sign of the covenant. It's included in the Decalogue because you always include the sign of the covenant in the covenant agreement. So that's where I stand on the Sabbath. I hope I've been clear. You are free to disagree with me. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you, but don't judge me either. Um, you can drop a line to squirrelchatter at protonmail.com. You can find me on social media, and you can disagree with me all you like. My entire defense is going to be to repeat and restate what I just said. So there you go. Now you understand. All right, let's recite our faith together with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the colic for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. A little long today, but I had a lot to cover. And that is Squirrel Chatter for this Wednesday, March 1st. Have a wonderful Wednesday. I have plans to have lunch with my daughter and granddaughter. I'm looking forward to that. Remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not to do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow for Theology Thursday on Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.